If I haven't met you yet, my name is David and I'm the pastor here. And uh, we've been going through a series through the book of Galatians. And so if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Galatians chapter six six today, uh, looking at the first 10 verses. Um, If you don't have a Bible, uh, especially don't own a Bible, we have some out in the commons at that hub that was referenced in at the back. Um, If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Um, We use the English Standard Version, um, and we would just love to give you one of those if you don't have a Bible. If you don't have one today, you can grab uh, one of those from one of those areas, or uh, check out the Lost and Found. There's bound to be a good leather back one, you know, it'll all work out, and then that'll motivate people to go grab their Bibles. Um, so if you're just joining us, we're, we're really wrapping up our series in the book of Galatians. And in fact, next week will be our last week in this book. Um, and this whole series has been so incredible to me because no matter what text we're looking at in this book, the heart and the desire of the Apostle Paul when he wrote this letter was really to point the churches, because remember, it's not just one church in, in Galatia, it's churches in a region in Galatia that he is writing to and really wanting to point them to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for our saving, we see that the gospel says, Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. And the fuel then that we need to follow him is a fuel really motivated by love, not motivated by fear that really comes out of an understanding, a gospel understanding, if you will, that we are loved by God, we are delighted in, and we are ransomed by the God of the universe. And so really what we've learned in this text, in this book as a whole, is that we are saved not by the law, not by our works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So really, Paul has really been laying before us a couple issues of false gospel belief. That really, if you're over here in a different type of thinking, that's not the gospel. And if you're over here, that's not the gospel either. And so we've seen Paul go after and really work out in the first four chapters, almost a a deconstructing around two different errors. And so I just kind of want to recap for us, especially those of us, whether you're coming in or you've missed some of these weeks, we know that the book of Galatians is beautifully repetitive, And I say beautifully repetitive because sometimes we go, oh, it's just repetitive. Yes, he's saying the same thing over and over again. But there's a great heart and intention behind that. And so Paul, in the first four chapters, has really been deconstructing two errors around the gospel. And so the first was legalism, which was this whole Jesus plus category. And so it could be a whole bunch of things for us. It could be Jesus plus doing these things Jesus plus not doing these things, going to these places, not going to these places. I mean, we really looked at it and we said, man, it could really be Jesus plus homeschooling your kids and not having them go to public school. It could be Jesus plus we go to these environments, but we dare not walk into these environments. So really this whole thing that we need to settle on here is that that's not the gospel, Jesus plus anything else ceases to be the gospel. And then there's this whole other group of people that don't walk in that error. They don't walk in the Jesus plus category. They don't tend to drift 
toward that, but the second issue that Paul really addresses is kind of a lawlessness, a, a license, which is this whole idea that, man, Jesus saves, so he will cover all my sin. Therefore, I could do whatever I want. And so now you have this whole demographic of people who are attending church on the weekends, but ultimately have not had their lives transformed in any way. They have no real affection for Jesus, and they have no submission to who he is. They just simply go to church, they call themselves Christians, and they trust that one day Jesus is just going to cover all of that stuff. And so here, Paul has come in in the text many times and said, yeah, that's not the gospel either. And so then he shifts to chapter five and six, and Paul's really giving us a picture of a reconstruction of what the real gospel is and how it affects the believer and the community of believers. And so in chapters five and six, he's really moved into the framework of a type of community that's created when a group of people actually believe the gospel and actually live the gospel. So in the case of Galatians here, if salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then how do we live together as sinners saved by grace? This is really the question Paul goes after. If this is true, what do we do? So in Galatians 5, we looked uh, over the last couple weeks. It really showed us what things we can expect when the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives, what it means to walk in and live in the Spirit. And so now as we look at Galatians chapter 6, it kind of flows out of that to tell us how we relate to one another when we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So Paul's kind of shifting gears and really speaking about what gospel truth is. He's shifting away from, here's what gospel truth is. He's made that clear. Here's what the errors are. To now, here's how the gospel truth should be lived out in the believer and in the community of believers. And so this morning, what we're going to see and unpack from our text this morning is that we are called to bear one another's burdens and continue in a life of the Spirit that we may not grow weary of doing good. If you're taking notes this morning, those are your fill in the blanks, that we are called to bear one another's burdens and continue in a life of the Spirit that we may not grow weary of doing good. And so this morning, we're gonna look at chapter six, starting in verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, 
let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, God, I thank you. I thank you for your son, Jesus, that by your grace, we have been saved. So Father, this morning, I pray that the freedom that you've given us in Christ would not be a license to just kind of keep on doing whatever we would want to do, but rather that we would continue on in our gospel, Christ-given freedom by really serving one another. By not only knowing the gospel, but by living the gospel and sharing the gospel. So God, I pray that that would just become true marks of our community of faith. So God, I just bring before you our time, the notes that are before me, and God, I ask that you would speak beyond this broken and perfect vessel. And God, this morning, may you get all the honor and the glory and the praise. And so it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So in the first verse, Paul opens by really fleshing out what our commitment to one another in gospel community is. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So let's dig into that a little bit more. Because our tendency is just kind of to look at those English words at face value. We know this to be true, so we always want to dig in a little bit more. What's Paul really getting at here? What is he meaning when he says this? Because Paul's not saying that you're, you're catching someone sinning, kind of like you're some sin detective, okay? It's not like, ah, oh, gotcha, I got you. That's, that's not what this is. So what Paul is saying is that if any of you are entangled or ensnared, if any of you are in trouble, if sin is beginning to overcome you. So this is the idea of seeing a brother or a sister in Christ drowning spiritually. And what does Paul say about us seeing this happening? How should we respond? He says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, when Paul says earlier, that those who are spiritual do this, I want to remind you, he's not talking about the, the, the elite of the faith, okay? Because I think our tendency is just to really think, well, man, I'm not filling the blank, so that's somebody else's job. That's somebody else's job to bear that burden and walk through that with them. But what we know of the text is that's not true because we already know from the text of the book is that from his conflict earlier with Peter, and, and from the issue going on in the church, that would exclude all of them. But when Paul says those who are spiritual, he means those that are walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, and keeping in step with the Spirit. And so those of you who are in the Spirit, your job is to engage the brother or sister who has been caught in ensnared in, entangled in transgressions. And then what do we do with that as we engage with them? We restore them. Because the ultimate goal here, Paul is saying, is restoration. So we engage brothers and sisters who are drowning. 
We engage those who are being overcome by sin. We engage those who are hurting and losing their fight against the flesh. And so we do all of this. We engage with them in order to see them become restored. So we work not as detectives, but as friends and as those who are being led by the Holy Spirit. And so the verb there, restore, is instructive. And I know that to some of you, you're going, well, obviously, He's saying restore. That's instructive right there. But if we really look at the Greek word that Paul's using there, katarizo, it means to put in order or to restore to its former condition. Now, in the context here, this was used in secular Greek as a medical term for setting a fracture or a dislocated bone. So in restoring, what Paul is saying is that it's a painful but important process because it's bringing one back from a place of misalignment and pain to resolve and to relief. And then later in verse one, Paul gives a prompting for us to remind ourselves that we need to also keep watch on ourselves lest we too be tempted. Now this is important because there are seasons and moments when sin seems at bay. And because of this, we kind of hit cruise control in our life and we just kind of sit back. Oh, I'm doing fine. I can see where I'm at. I know how far off that is and I'll be ready when that comes ahead. I mean, honestly, man, if, if we're honest, we kind of do this in marriage. We kind of think, man, here's my financial issues. Here's my porn problem. And then I get married and all of that's gonna be fixed. And so we just kind of take a sit back and we hit cruise control and go, I'm fine. But when we have not truly kept watch, as Paul would say, we become like our drowning brothers and sisters. We become caught in and snared in and tangled in transgressions. So Paul's reminding us here, keep watch on yourselves. And then he gives us a healthy dose of reality. He gives us a truthful and, and to some, offensive gut check. Remember, Paul's writing to the church is divided and confused because of misguided false teachers. So in verses two and three, he's breaking through the motivation of the believer. In verse two, he tells us that bearing one another's burdens fulfills the law of Christ. And so this is really a simple command to obey, he says, what this really means is that you look for a brother or sister with a burden. I think if we just took some time today in our service, it wouldn't be hard to find what the burdens in other people's lives are. If we just took a moment and really asked, what's the burden you're walking through and what you're struggling with? And so Paul's saying, find that and help them with it. It's that simple. So it isn't complicated, and it doesn't take a huge program or infrastructure to do it. Just look for a burden to bear and bear it. And so Paul essentially here in this verse says, do you want to fulfill the law? Great. Here's your law to fulfill, the law of Christ, to love one another, bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 3, Paul goes after the motivation of the believer, he says, if anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So if you didn't catch that just there, 
Paul just said, if you think you're awesome, you're not. That's basically what Paul just said. So here's the issue with this and why Paul's getting at this is because arrogance and pride can really detour people away from serving others. And because this type of behavior and thinking really harms everyone, it doesn't just harm the person or the person that they're attempting to reach by their own motivation. It really affects both the community of believers and the individual that is prideful. And it's because pride is self-focused. Pride doesn't necessarily say, I'm better than you. Pride simply says, I'm more important than you. You're kind of important, but I'm more important. So I deserve more of my own attention and love than you do. But the opposite of pride here is a biblical humility, which is I'm nothing, but you are something. Let me care about your burdens and your needs. Let me place you above myself. And really, this is the focus and motivation working itself out in gospel freedom. So it's the believer that's been set free from trying to maintain this empty awesomeness and instead in love says, how can I give to you? How can I encourage you? How can I push you further on into what God would have for you? And how can I serve you? So here the issue is that if you're building up your life around how awesome you are, then you're going to fail and you're going to fall. That's not going to last and that's not going to work. So really what Paul's saying in this text is check yourself. I mean, if we really go honest with a, with a cultural statement here, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? This is really what Paul's going after. Because if you're walking in a type of pride that says, I'm perfect, or man, I am upright, look at how good I am, I am awesome, then you are deceiving yourselves. And so remember, this is kind of an issue when we're motivated by fear. A lot of you men, I said this before, you may not say, man, I'm absolutely afraid of everything, but you maybe are afraid of being found out for who you really are or what you really struggle with. And so really how that plays itself out in the exterior is you come across really prideful, like you're really awesome. And so really sometimes even the the wrong other part of that motivation is that we kind of praise when others fail. We're not motivated by love to carry one another's burdens. When we're filled up with this pride and this own own idea of awesomeness, we're like, oh man, thank God they're, they're failing. That gives me a break. We don't praise in a biblical humility that we can stir one another on. I mean, let's be honest. It's not just the men. It's all parents, both men and women too. We could could talk about this with parenting. Even yesterday, we went out to lunch and and Shai and I have a screaming kid. Some of the time in the service, there's a screaming kid. You know sometimes how difficult it is to not look at a parent who's dealing with a really screaming kid and go, thank God I'm not that bad. That's really easy for us to do. And so Paul's saying you need to check yourself that that would not be your motivation, but rather you see a need in that and say, let me help you. Let me get in front of you. And Paul tells us that we need to test this because if we're full of ourselves, then we're not serving one another. 
So we really need to take a careful and a sober look at our works to see if they are works unto God or works really unto ourselves. So remember, even Paul said that a pleaser of man, even ourselves in our flesh, is not the same as a servant of Christ. We learn this in the first chapter of Galatians. In verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul says, check your motivation or even your lack thereof and even your boasting. Because in verse five, he's saying, listen, each will have to bear his own load. Now what this means is that each of us at the end of our lives are going to have to give an account for our living. We don't walk in gospel freedom and just get to do whatever we want. But our life would rather be marked by the gospel in belief and service, not in our attempt of awesomeness. And so even in commentating on this verse, verse five, John Calvin said this, to destroy sloth, idleness, and pride. He brings before us the judgment of God in which every individual for himself and without comparison with others will give an account of his life. So really to get at the heart of the issue, Paul is saying that if we're motivated by boasting in ourselves, then we are not continuing in a life of the Spirit. So we really need to check our motivation because we are together to be continuing in a life of the Spirit. And so then in verses six through 10, we really see Paul telling us how we can do good to others in the household of faith. In verse six, he speaks to those who preach the word. He said, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, if you didn't understand that verse, let me just tell you, on one hand, this is a really uncomfortable text to preach. On the other, it's a great text to preach. Because here you have Paul instructing the Galatians in regards to their teachers and their ministry partners and how the church should help them in their needs. And what I think is really true here is you have a whole other category of teachers that seem appealing but are not really leaders in the church. And so Paul's trying to draw them back. Listen, care for your leaders. And so in one way, Paul's basically saying, listen, you need to be, you need to be paying your pastors. But it also goes into more than that because he says share all good things. So it's not just money, it's encouragement, it's hospitality, it's respect, it's testimony. So for example, let me just give you an example of, of something I hope for us to just kind of learn together. One of the things that I really kind of struggle with is when people would come up to me on a Sunday and say, hey, good word today, pastor. And then they just leave it at that. Because what's really wonderful and true and beautiful and encouraging is when you tell me why. That's an encouragement to the work that I've put in to preach the word of God, to share with you when you share with me what God did through the preaching of his word. And so let me tell you this, when you share that with me, that's not so that I can glory in myself. That's that we could share all good things and give glory to God. 
But if it's just, hey, good word today, let me just be honest with you, that's just kind of empty. It's just kind of like, what are, are you trying to get after making me happy by saying that? Just don't feel like you have to say that, but let's get at the heart of why. What did God do through you and how can we share in that good thing? So let me tell you this too. I love you and I love getting to be your pastor. I do. Last year, um, which some of you weren't here at this time, when I transitioned to part-time, and some of you don't know that, but for me, I'm at a part-time capacity because we're not currently at a financial place for me to be fully here. But, But last year, in the midst of that, I wrote a letter to you detailing out some of the needs of my family and that I was going to go out and find work because one of the things about our network church is it doesn't provide health care. And that's a big need when you're growing a family so that you can make sure that as you grow your family, it stays healthy. And so I went out and found uh, part-time work in addition to working here. And here's what was such a humbling and amazing gift is that some of you came forward And after reading that letter said, hey, I want to help meet a need. What's a need you have? And let me tell you, that was wonderful to get to share with you those good things. Because really for me, this is a calling on my life. As much as there is a position there and a time that I'm getting to spend with you and spend in the word, I have dedicated my life to preach the gospel and to the best of my ability and even beyond that, Lord willing, as he works in me, I take serious the role I have of being your pastor. And so I have made it clear. It's, it's that I... Love you. I love being in this role and this opportunity to preach the word. But I want us to remember also that Paul's not just talking about sharing our finances, he's not just talking about pastors, he's talking about those that teach the word. So let me give you an example of this. When you came in this morning, if you're a parent or a guardian, you drop your kids off at kids' church. And right now, they're with teachers and helper, helpers that are teaching the word to them. We don't do daycare, if you're ever curious about that. We don't do daycare. To the best of our ability in kids' church, we preach and teach the word to your kids. So let me give you a practical example of how you can share all good things. Is that when you go to pick up your kids, thank the teachers and volunteers. Thank them for the investment they're making. We don't have a robust amount of volunteers. And so some of them are not only stepping up uh, on a once a month, they're stepping up uh, sometimes two, three weeks a month to serve and to care for your kids so that you can be down here growing together in the word. And so this is important for us. That being in a position of teaching the word is not for praise. I want you to know that. As I preach the word, I, I want to not only tell you that piece that drives me nuts when you say, a good word, pastor, and there's nothing there. I also want you to let yourself off the hook because I don't do this for that. I do this because God's placed a calling on my life to share with you. So Paul's really saying, share all good things with one another. Paul's saying, encourage those, give to those who dedicate themselves to this work. And so ultimately, this verse does not call for a special pastoral offering. 
Okay, so after the service, we're not gonna say, hey, here's our normal tithes and our offerings and here's something for David, but the church to be faithful to care for the needs of their leaders, okay? By sharing all good things with them. And then in verse seven and eight, Paul uses an agricultural metaphor to really encourage the Galatians to live by the Spirit. As we read, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So for us, what we need to understand is that any time that the Bible says, do not be deceived, it's beginning to address an area where you have a tendency to think we're right when we're really wrong. And so Paul's saying, if you're going to walk in this type of legalism or walk in this type of license to keep on sinning, you're sowing for yourselves destruction. So really, if your faith is self-serving, you're in trouble. If you live life for your own benefit and your own expression of faith and you have selfish desires behind them, you are sowing for yourself destruction. So let me remind you what's blatantly clear in the word. The Christian walk is not about you. The Christian walk is not about you. Yes, God loves you and pours himself out for you, redeems you and reconciles you to himself. But the life you now live is not your own. We we saw this from Paul in Galatians 2. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So what Paul's getting at there is the the resources you have, the, the money you have, the time you have, the gifts you have. These are not your own. Your money is not something that you can take to heaven. You are on borrowed time. I mean, if we're honest, we have made plans for how the rest of today is to go, but we really don't know how it's gonna go because you're on borrowed time. You are not so awesome that you can dictate when you're going out. The gifts and the talents you were given are for building up the body of Christ, not for building up yourself. But remember too, Paul is not promoting some law of spiritual karma that ensures that we'll get good when we do good or always get bad when we do bad. What he's simply relating is the principle in the principle of sowing and reaping is to the way we manage our resources before the Lord. So if you're putting all your time and all of your energy and all your money into things of the flesh, you're going to come up empty. But if you put all of those things into the body and you give to those who have need, then you're making a greater investment. You're making an eternal investment. And so really, let let me just give you an example of how this plays out when Christians have a tendency to just kind of get selfish and get about themselves. Uh, there's a saying that I think kind of fits this idea, and it's that the problem in our world is that we've gone from using things and loving people to loving things and using people. We've gone from using things and loving people to loving things and using people. So this is what Paul is addressing 
and is saying, this is completely counter to the heart of God and the life of the believer. So understand, God's not gonna be mocked if you try to walk in your gospel freedom and do whatever you think is best for you. Paul's saying that's counter to what God would have you walk in. So don't go on living for yourself. Live in the spirit that you would continue to do good for one another. So then Paul reminds us and he encourages us in verse nine, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Now Paul's point here is not for justification through works, but rather that our good works reflect the love and the heart and the character of God. Because remember, it's not that we work to be saved, it's that we work because we are saved. And so this is the outward evidence to those around us of the faith that we are walking in a gospel freedom that we've been given in Christ. But really, as we look at this, if we're honest with one another today, and this is church, so we can be, sometimes we grow tired and worn out and we grow weary of doing good. Even John Calvin, when commentating on this verse in verse nine, spoke to this. When he says, we are naturally lazy in the duties of love and many little stumbling blocks hinder and put off even the well-disposed we, may, we meet with many unworthy, many ungrateful people. The vast number of the needy overwhelms us. We are drained by pain out on every side and our warmth is dampened by the coldness of others. Finally, the whole world is full of hindrances which turn us aside from the right path. Now, I don't know about you, but reading that in my study time and even reading that now, I just read that and feel weary. I feel weary for Calvin. But really, there's, there's a great example that, that I believe he would go further into, that the Bible goes further into, and a help and a hope that we have to not grow weary. And that's the gospel. So when we do good to those that are thankless and cold and walk in a sense of entitlement, it's not that we're hoping that things are gonna go well for them or that they'll eventually pay out to then be good to us. It's that in the midst of giving to them, we remember that we were once thankless and cold and God extended grace to us. That God did good to you when you didn't deserve good. So our motivation for doing good to others is that good has been done to us in Christ when we were not worthy of that good. So if your standard of doing good to others is only to do good to others who can return that favor or who will be extremely grateful for your good deeds, then it's coming out of a wrong motivation in your heart. I mean, again, if we're honest together, think of when you've been given something, you've, you've given something to someone that you thought was a, a huge gesture or a major sacrifice, and they simply just said, hey, thanks so much. Think about that. If, if your heart is like, dude, that was a huge gesture. 
That was a major sacrifice. And I wanted you to be more fill in the blank. There you go. It's coming out of a wrong motivation in your heart. And so Paul's reminding us, don't grow weary of doing good. It's not to to satisfy your flesh, but to continue to walk in living out the gospel because the gospel frees us to do good works and not grow weary because it's out of the motivation of love. So then Paul goes on to say in verse 10, that as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And Paul makes a point that where we, would, where we should do good to everyone, it's especially to the community of believers. And this is why I keep pressing in on us to be in community with one another. Why the last several weeks out of uh, our service, at the end of our service, I've continued to encourage you to get into a community group with one another, to go beyond the Sunday service and to get face-to-face with one another. And yes, you're gonna meet people you don't like, okay? So I'm gonna be honest with you and I'm gonna let you off the hook of that. You don't have to try and like everyone you are just called to love them. So let me be honest with you about that. You're gonna meet people you don't like. People aren't going to always like you. Iron is going to sharpen iron. And if you've never seen that before, it looks a little messier than the proverb, okay? And so the fullness of this, what we need to understand is that this is found in the trenches with other believers where we're fully known by one another, and where we're working to fully know others. That has to be fought for. So it's not something we're just down the road gonna stumble upon and someone's gonna walk in and go, man, how'd you get to community with one another? This is a great thing. And we just said, man, we went through this seven-week teaching series and we handed out this flyer and everybody got into that. That's not how it works. So if you sit here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday going, man, one day I'll be stirred by a motivation by how I feel, that's not gonna work. You'll never get into community based on that. It's by what you know. Sometimes getting in community is gonna suck for you. But this is where Paul would return us to. It's not about you. It's where we would gather together to be fully known and to fully know others, that we would fight for this because we know it can be exhausting. We can grow weary of doing good. But that's why Paul is reminding us, don't give up in this work. Paul's really encouraging and pushing these churches to press in to relationship with one another. So not only to serve one another when things are going good, but to serve one another when they are caught in, ensnared in, entangled in transgressions, and to care for one another as there are needs. So really, this is a different type of community because this is a gospel-centered community. So really, it's those who've been radically transformed by the truth of the gospel and they continue to be transformed. And in this, then they respond by serving one another, doing good works as unto 
to the God that saved them. Because it's not that we work to be saved, but that because we are saved, we are empowered by grace through our salvation to serve. And so our serving is not something that God needs. It's something that our brothers and our sisters in Christ need. It's something that our neighbor needs. It's a way of loving one another and showing the love that Jesus has for us. So as we come to a close this morning and we we go out from here and we easily disconnect sometimes from the text, I wanna keep pressing in to what your motivation is. And so this morning as we close, I just want you to ask yourself, is your gospel freedom motivating you towards serving one another? Is your gospel freedom motivating you towards serving one another? Because Paul would remind us again and again, the Christian life is not about us. It's not about us drawing in everything we can get out of it but what we can give to it. This is why Jesus is the perfect example. Jesus himself said, I did not come to this earth to be served, but to serve. And so this is the type of model we're called to walk in, where our gospel freedom would motivate us towards serving one another, not for what we can get out of it, but what we can give as Christ has given to us in a perfect example and perfect sacrifice. So ask yourself, is your gospel freedom motivating you towards serving one another? Let's pray.